0: You're listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation with Carrie Nixon and Rebecca Gwilt, a podcast for novel and disruptive healthcare business leaders seeking to transform how we receive and experience healthcare. Welcome back to Decoding Healthcare Innovation. I am your host, uh, your co-host, Rebecca Gwilt, co-founder and partner at Nixon Gwilt Law, where we help digital health companies navigate law and policy to build great businesses Today, I'm delighted to share the pod with Dr. Joseph Zabinski, Managing Director of AI and Personalized Medicine at Om. One. We're going to talk about everybody's favorite current topic, AI and its practical applications in healthcare. Uh, there have been about 1.6 you know trillion articles and discussions on the topic, but no better way to dig into it than somebody who spends their whole life, you know, trying to optimize. So, welcome to the pod, Joseph.
1: Thank you. Delighted to be here. Thank you for the invitation.
0: You're very welcome. First of all, uh, congrats on making healthcare innovations 40 under 40 for 2023.
1: Oh, thank you. Yes, I was honored.
0: You, um, you know, they, they mentioned you were picked because of your efforts to bring useful AI to real world healthcare, especially for pharmaceutical and medical device companies and providers. I'm curious, how did you get into this space? Maybe you can, Briefly talk me through your journey. I'm guessing that you weren't just uh, discovering ChatGPT and large language models a year ago like the rest of us.
1: No. Uh, actually, the past year has been sort of a, a nice validation of the work that we've been doing for longer than a year because now the world is beginning to say that, oh, there's some you know, interesting stuff uh, with, with this AI that's been sort of hyped but intangible for a while. So yeah, I, I got into this field um, to give the quick story because I always was interested in doing useful things with math and optimization and and you know technology things like that. Studied those things in school, found my way to healthcare with those tools because it gives us the opportunity to do something impactful and useful for people, and have spent you know the past uh, better part of the past decade working at that intersection of of technology and healthcare. I did my my doctoral work in data and health, got started in industry as a consultant, sort of figuring out some of the earlier applications of AI in in the pharmaceutical world. And then most recently, uh, for the past five years or so, I've been at OM1 kind of building from the ground up with large data sets, applying and developing AI against those data sets to answer useful questions. So it's been a journey. I always say I would have majored in data science if you could have. When I went to college, but I'm too old, but now people can, which is great. So uh, yeah, yeah, glad that there's lots of interest here.
0: Yeah. I mean, in my, in my research, I hear a lot of, you know, very action oriented words, which I love it's useful, impactful, actionable. Uh, these are, you know, this is, this is what I'm hearing all the time from folks in healthcare that it's great to have a lot of data and to see what it is and to, to buy it and combine it with other data. But really what's going to be helpful to people who actually have very little time uh, to treat way more people than they have time to treat is sort of those sort of useful, impactful, actionable items. Given your work uh, uh, so far, I think we're sort of at the tip of the iceberg now, but what do you think is the greatest use case right now? Or maybe some examples of, of really wonderful use cases right now for AI, specifically in delivering personalized healthcare?
1: Yeah, um, it's a great question. So We're kind of spoiled for choice nowadays, because as you mentioned, the data have been sort of getting bigger and better for the past, you know, five, 10 years. And the AI tools have also been more recently catching up and letting us do all sorts of cool things. And sometimes the challenge is like, where do we start? Because there's so many options of cool things we could do. Some of my favorite ones. So one of them is around the notion of patient identification. Um, We talk about it as patient finding. For undiagnosed or misdiagnosed patients. So, you know, the short story is uh, most people will begin to experience a symptom of a disease and then have some delay until they get diagnosed. Could be, you know, a week until you go see your doctor, get an answer. Um, Could be a few months. In some cases, could be years. And sometimes that's because the condition isn't too serious. But in other cases, it's because, you know, it's a rare genetic disease that confounds, you know, some of the physicians that you work with. Or it's just something that gets misdiagnosed, and then you're sort of in, a, in a, a place of treatment that's not really being effective and could be helped elsewhere. So in that application, just as an example, AI is very good at taking massive cohorts of data and saying, what's the common pattern, the common theme for patients from that instance of first diagnosis until, uh, excuse me, first symptom until diagnosis? And then how can we catch people earlier on the path? That's one that works in the real world. We do a lot of it. One of my favorite applications. Um, I'll give you one other one just because I think it underpins a lot of the development in, in our industry, and that's increasing use of AI in clinical trials. This is something that's been hyped for quite a long time, but I think we're getting to a point where, you know, exactly as you say, some of the practical impact is happening, not just the theoretical impact, but the actual, you know, something is, is becoming real. One area being, you know, how do we um, look for people who, for example, could benefit from participation in a clinical trial? How do we surface them, make sure their physicians are aware of a trial, make sure they understand what's going on, have the opportunity to consent if they choose to, and participate? This is a hugely unsolved problem in trial world. But again, that notion of massive data sets, AI being able to say what's going on at the cohort level, and what does that mean for the person in front of me, that can help surface those patients.
0: Yeah. Someone recently told me, or maybe not too recently told me, but it stuck in my head that uh, you know medical schools teach... Uh, you know, a core of maybe 200 diseases. And there are recorded, you know, over 10,000 diseases. And so this notion of sort of solution finding, patient finding, you know, I imagine that this technology just unlocks that in a way that even the best doctor that exists in the world couldn't. I know there's, you know, every time there's a new technology, there's a lot of fear around it. But, you know, those kinds of examples are always remind me that this isn't, this isn't about replacing, this is about optimizing,
1: you know? Exactly. Yeah. That's a super important point you make because first of all, absolutely agree hundred percent, you know, the best doctor in the world is the one who knows as much as they can and does what they can with that knowledge for their patient. Doesn't mean they know everything, right? You know, my wife is a primary care provider and is constantly trying to you know, keep abreast of exactly as you say, all these different things people can have, how they interact, and so on. But crucial point for, for adoption of all this is to emphasize that, yeah, we're not trying to replace um, the humans involved in the process. There's many, many things they do that AI will never do as well as them, in my opinion. We're augmenting and helping uh, just like other tools would.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I always ask this and I, and I, and I always forget the answer. So forgive me for asking again. Uh, (laughs) How do you explain to non-technology people, the difference between AI and LLMs?
1: Yeah, I would say, and you know, everybody has a little bit of definitional freedom here, but AI is the umbrella term. AI can pretty much mean whatever you want it to mean. That's kind of the dirty secret uh, of this area. At least you know, within a, you know, pretty broad remit. LLMs, I'd certainly say, fit underneath that umbrella. LLMs, Large Language Models, are one of these more, uh, more recently public, I guess, tools that we have in our toolbox, along with, you know, machine learning, natural language processing, the other terms that you might hear, all those, I would say, fall reasonably under under the the umbrella of AI.
0: AI, okay, got it. So Mm -hmm. you said before, there aren't a lot of mature, real-world clinical applications using LLMs yet. What do you think is the hurdle here? And um, you know, follow up question: how do we, how do we, how do we hurdle the hurdle?
1: How do we get over it? Yeah. So LLMs are pretty new with respect to the broad, you know, public awareness and, and sort of wrestling with some of these questions, right? Uh, I don't think it's incorrect to have in, in our minds the, the ChatGPT timeline, which was, you know, as of today, but. 11, uh 10 or 11 months ago i think that it went sort of public of course folks have been working on these things for longer than that but llms behave differently in important ways from other types of AI modeling we might do and so i think you know especially in healthcare there's always a conservatism that comes from making sure these things uh don't do bad things right mm-hmm. um we may have all had the experience of playing around with ChatGPT and having it lie to us in ways that can seem funny
0: yeah. um,
1: when you're when you're playing with a toy but can be quite dangerous if you're actually querying, you know, medical record data and asking to surface something important uh, potentially about a patient. So I think that's one reason. The other thing is, you know, the integration of AI tools into clinical workflows is, is a bigger unsolved problem. There are some examples of it being done really well, but certainly with LLMs as well, work needs to be done to put things, you know, in, in the pathways we have sometimes redesign pathways, but that don't try to fight against, you know, the, the people elements of this that work with them.
0: And in what, can you give me an example of how it's being used currently? Like an example of, of, of sort of a use case of how an LLM, a piece of LLM technology is being used in, in the sort of in the clinical space.
1: Sure. So, um, in the clinical space, you know, it, it that goes all the way down to, you know, you walk down the the street to your uh primary care provider's office on the corner and and see what technology's there, versus in you know an academic medical center that has all sorts of research collaborations. There's a broad spectrum of sort of what's being used in in, in real practice. But with LLMs, for example, I think they're very good at helping to extract and summarize information from uh you know sometimes quite messy data sets quite large and messy data sets in a way that's flexible and somewhat intuitive more intuitive than other methods so i'll give you an example of something we do in house we at oman look at um uh physician notes you know clinical narratives where uh the physician has said a patient came in today you know here's what happened about that patient de-identified of course but a lot of times you know, if you have a human read that note, you could sort of interview that person about what the content was, right? Not necessarily like, was this word in there that, but what was the sense of what was going on? That ability to extract and synthesize context and content in a way that's better than just mechanically trying to say, you know, is this or is this not um, present in the information? is something LLMs are emergently good at. They're not perfect, but they're probably better at it than than other technologies I've seen. And I think that is going to help in the clinical workflow pretty soon. This ability to sort of summarize for clinicians quickly um, is, is going to yeah. be useful.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've been frustrated isn't the right word, but I'm I'm um, eager to see, see more creative uh, applications that I've seen so far, right? So right now we've got, like, now I have a great chat bot that's better than the last chat bot. Um, Mm -hmm. and certainly LLMs are, are, are great at simulating that kind of conversation, but I, Mm -hmm. but the kind of the, the mature applications of, of that technology, um, like the, the potential is so much more than that. Um, but I, but I, 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 alas, I think I'll just have to wait and see what comes through.
1: We'll get there. I think, uh, you're absolutely right. It's harder to invent sort of the new paradigm of applications than it is to, you know, incrementally innovate on the ones that we have already. But I often say, you know, with, with AI, at least in healthcare, we want to be using the tools where they're appropriate, right? Rather than taking the tool and trying to jam something to fit it. Yeah. And oftentimes I've found that appropriateness comes from asking questions where help is most needed, right? So like if there's a, if there's a clinical area where we would say it would be really amazing if X Then we would next ask, like, can LLMs help with that? I'll give you one totally speculative example that I'm making up on the fly, but could be interesting. We don't have a great way of summarizing and synthesizing multimodal data. That, you know, kind of like what I was just describing with the clinical narrative. But what if you could ask an LLM, you know, tell me what's true about this patient's medical history and all their imaging data and their genetics and just eat all of that and tell me what the answer is, right? That would be pretty cool. Um, I don't even know if it's super realistic, but perhaps yeah. that's the kind of transformative thing you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think it's, I think it's not just about the technology. I think it's about upskilling the people who are going to be using this technology. So for instance, one yeah, way yeah. that I use it like outside of the healthcare context one of the things I often do is say, um, "Ask me 15 questions uh, to elicit information you need to get to get to an answer. You know, to get to XYZ answer." Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, you can imagine in the clinical context, right? You could say, you know, uh, uh, what you know, what questions should I ask this patient, or you know. Uh, ask me as many questions as you need to ask me so that you can, you know, so that I can get you the the context you need to make X, Y, Z evaluation. And so, you know, I, I, I I wonder if the sort of LLM technology itself has, you know, that's going to evolve from a technological perspective, but the use of that technology has to evolve as well. And I imagine that's, that's a challenge. I'm sure that's overwhelming for folks in the healthcare sector who are already up against the wall with so many changes.
1: Yeah. I think they will slowly but surely figure out how to do better things with this, but we shouldn't, uh, you're, you're right. We shouldn't forget that you know they're trying to do their day jobs along the way too, right? Yeah.
0: So, okay. So your company recently launched uh, Phenom, a patented mm-hmm. AI powered platform for personalized medicine how tell me how that came about what 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 is the yeah. um what, what are the what is the what are your what is the so- thing you're solving for
1: yeah so the the sort of deep core of OM one as a data company is our OM one real world data cloud which is this huge data asset uh, many hundreds of millions of uh data points uh and patients where you know we can we can really look at longitudinal health histories and study what happens you know uh, across individuals and also cohorts over time, right So if you're talking about a group of patients in rheumatology or cardiovascular disease, you can see you know w- what did they do? Uh, what treatments did they take? how did they respond, you know uh, which types of physicians did they see? And all that helps to inform things about you know treatment effectiveness, risk, uh, all these kinds of questions. You know, I think a lot of times AI applications have said, let's take data like that and let's try to predict stuff that will happen, right? Like, let's predict if a patient's going to have a heart attack uh, or, you know, if they're going to respond well to particular treatment. Those are good questions to ask. But we found that there was one level deeper we could go, which is to say, can we use AI to create not just sort of point answers to those kinds of questions, but a more permanent generalizable representation of the patient which we think of as like a digital phenotype um, like a digital similar to, yeah similar to like a, you know a genetic uh a genotype um or even you know like if you take a, a blood sample you can read a bunch of things out of that we say, can we create sort of a representation of a patient that we can read lots of things out of so mm-hmm. phenome is essentially that it's a it's an engine that we built to take longitudinal histories develop these phenomic profiles or fingerprints. And then when we do that for, you know, a group of patients with a characteristic like a rare disease, we can then, you know, look at new patients and say, does their profile, their fingerprint look similar to the reference we have on file? And if so, maybe they're at elevated risk of that undiagnosed condition. But we can Mm -hmm. also ask other questions about them, you know, what's their chances of improvement, you know, under this particular treatment path, whatever it may be. That ability to say, we have a permanent representation, we can ask multiple questions, I think is different from other AI uses. And that's, that's why we put Phenome into place.
0: Okay. So let me, let me say this back to you um, because my brain exploded a little bit. So we're going (laughs) to create this um, digital phenotype, right? So a, Mm a uh, I'm imagining like a hologram, right? Like walking yes. through space. That has certain, That's a
1: good starting you know, point. Yeah, Physical,
0: physical and uh, I'm like a Star Trek gal. So this, yeah. um, physical and, um, you know, genetic markers, et cetera. Are you able to um, almost like, like, I can imagine in a clinical trial space, they would love to do this, right? Like a hypothetical person. And then they test things on that person and see given what the data says about the likely reaction or the likely uh uh, well, the likely reaction to whatever that treatment is, you know, gather data that would actually be helpful in the real world. Is that is that what you mean by asking it questions?
1: Can you say more about that? Yeah, absolutely. That's that is one of the kinds of things you can do with this approach, right? You can say, I mean, w- w- what we'll say is like we have a, I'll call it a phenotypic re- representation of what patients with uh, a certain characteristic look like, and you might say what would happen if we had a patient who had that profile and who had another one, you know, which was another, you know, d- disease or comorbidity they might have um, that can be used to study subtypes of disease, right. Which is often a question in, in development, like you described, can we target smaller groups within sort of a large disease category by using understanding of, of, you know, how people differ among, uh, you know, within the same large condition. Um, You can also use this kind of technology to say, are there aspects of, you know, a patient's profile that help us to, you know, call them out or identify them more quickly? Um, And that's, you know, that's something harder to do in the current moment with a a fully kind of like uh, next generation trial context, like you're referencing, where we have sort of a holographic patient um, we don't need to worry about you know, testing people in, in, in real life anymore. But some point, I, I think we will get there. We'll be able to, you know, perturb and uh, sort of vary these phenotypes enough to say, if we do this, what happens over there? And then you've got sort of the future you're describing.
0: Yeah, it's very, very cool. Well, you know, <clears throat> what I hear most often is, you know, we're working on integrating, you know, AI into our solution, um, sounds like AI is the, the, the base of your, you know, the base of, of, of the whole concept and company. Yes. for you. Uh, you know, one question that's sort of uh, um, not off topic for me, but possibly off topic for you, how are you finding the challenge of sourcing the data that you need to develop the kinds of insights you want to provide?
1: Yeah. So we're, We're blessed at OM1 on the AI side that the folks of our business on the data side have done such good work in sourcing lots and lots of really quite rich and deep data that we can use to figure this stuff out from an AI perspective. And we we also have a number of really great partnerships with clinical groups. You know, like, for example, we partner with the American Academy of Dermatology to get data and really understand what's going on, you know, with a clinical lens on it, not just sort of an abstract database lens i will say the data challenge that i run into more is then to say when we want to generalize these things when we want to take something we've learned from our large deep rich data sets and put it into a smaller data set put it into a health system um, how do we understand what's sufficient there what's necessary you know if the data are clean what do we have to do to clean them up Um, if they have all sorts of you know unique local data what do we do about that I think interoperability obviously has been a, a topic of conversation for a very long time in healthcare. I do think at, at a minimum, these kinds of things will help us force more and more translation amongst data contexts because the value will just get bigger and bigger.
0: Okay. This is my last question. So, okay. you know, my guess is that the the evolution of capabilities and technology in the AI, LLM, NLP, um, machine learning, all the things, space. all the
1: acronyms, all, the things,
0: all the things. I used to work for the government, so I'm, I'm I speak fluent ac- acronym. Um, <clears throat> my guess is that the that the speed at which this will evolve and change is going to be sort of in hyperdrive over the next, you know, months. Right? Do you have like what do you what do you think? this conversation would sound like if we were having it one year in the future from now?
1: That's a great question. I think um, a year from now, we're going to look at certain of these applications, particularly with LLMs, and they're just going to be second nature to us mm-hmm. all. Um, I saw this referred to recently as autocomplete for everything. You know, We're all familiar with this kind of Technical function of autocomplete, which yeah. would have sounded futuristic and bizarre at some point in our past lives. I mean, yeah. as been around for that long, and now it's just second nature. I think that will be true a year from now, but I think we'll be talking about a lot of the same core problems because mm-hmm. they're not going to be solved in an instant.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I really, really do appreciate your uh, focus on um, the problem, right? The problem, the impact, and. I, um, I'm excited to see what the, what Phenom does. Um, I th- really appreciate your time and talent today, Joseph. If folks want to hear more of these kinds of insights or they're interested in exploring a business relationship with Om One, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
1: Sure. Um, check out our website. We, we have lots of other materials on there. Our Phenom website there has, has me on it. And, you know, folks are always welcome to contact us through that. My email is jzabinski, my last name, at on1.com if anyone wants to reach out directly. um no bold. always happy to talk more. <laughs> well, I know. Uh, well, I just, you know, get excited about talking. So it. there you go. Don't you did email it. Emails. Okay.
0: <clears throat> well, thank you so much uh, for you uh, you listeners out there. I'm Rebecca Gwilt. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion on the clinical a- applications of AI with Dr. Joseph Zabinski of OM1. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Decoding Healthcare Innovation and follow us on LinkedIn. And as always, you can check out the links and resources in the show notes and find out more about our work with healthcare innovators at nixongwiltlaw.com. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to find out more about Carrie, me, or Nixon Guilt Law, go to nixonguiltlaw.com or click the links in the show notes.